Hello, Happy New Year, Adam. Happy New Year, Matt. What, what, why are they hearing our voices and not the intro music to the podcast? They, uh, the listeners, are hearing our voices because uh, this is actually a surprise episode. Surprise! Surprise, got ya! <laughs> um, we are kicking the new year off in style with a surprise story, which is none other than the Brothers Grimm's version of Beauty and the Beast. That is exciting. I think you may have hinted at it a couple of times, but uh, people didn't know necessarily what was coming. Well, the plan originally was that Beauty and the Beast was going to be a special episode. We do special episodes for our patrons of stories that aren't grim stories. However, during my research for that special episode, I suddenly discovered that the Grimm's published a version of Beauty and the Beast in their first edition of Fairy Tales, which they then erased from future editions and it doesn't the front door (laughs) and it doesn't go by the name beauty and the beast so it eluded me for so long but eventually fortunately i discovered it but that meant i had had a load of research done already so oh that's what a fantastic exciting surprise isn't it just lucky us i I can't wait shall we well let's with the episode let's wait no longer onwards (laughs) let's go let's hear the music Hello there, and welcome to Grim Reading, where each episode we read and review a Brothers Grimm tale. My name is Matthew Hughes, and with me on this journey is my co-host, Mr. Adam Field. This week on Grim Reading. The Summer and Winter Garden, aka Beauty and the Beast. So make yourself comfortable and prepare for a Grim Reading. A merchant was planning to go to a fair, so he asked his three daughters what he should bring back for them. The oldest one said, A beautiful dress. The second, A pair of pretty shoes. The third, A rose. To find a rose would be difficult, for it was the middle of winter. But because the youngest daughter was the most beautiful, and because she took great pleasure in flowers, the father said that he would do his best to find her one. (laughs) Wow, okay. It was really lovely until just then. <laughs> you're my favourite. <laughs> and because you're the most beautiful, I'll do something extra special for you. Uh, lovely. You're the second most beautiful and you're <laughs> the least. Love you, girls. Uh, I found this old thing. Hey, you can have that. Um, I'd ask for some uh, some candy floss. Because uh, he's going to a fair. He's going to the fair. That's what you get. That's the best thing you get at the fair. It's literally the best thing. That's true. Oh, they've messed up. Big time. Do you think he's like doing the like rifle range or something? He's got to win these <laughs> from the coconut shy, yeah. The coconut shy. <laughs> well, the merchant was now on his homeward trip. He's done he's been he's done the coconut shy, he's been to fair and he's heading home. Fantastic. He had a splendid dress for the oldest daughter, a pair of beautiful shoes for the second one, but he'd not been able to get a rose for the third one. Oh no. Whenever he had entered a garden looking for roses, the people just laughed at him, (laughs) asking him if he believed that roses grew in the snow. He's become a laughing stock. Yeah. What an idiot. So everyone's laughed at him and he can't find the rose. He was very sad about this. And as he was thinking about what he might bring his dearest child, he came to a castle. 
It had an adjoining garden where it was half summer and half winter. Whoa. On the one side, the most beautiful flowers were blossoming, large and small. On the other side, everything was bare and covered with deep snow. The man climbed from his horse. He was overjoyed to see an entire hedge full of roses on the summer side. He approached it, picked one of them, and then rode off. So he's got his rose. Yay! He had already ridden some distance when he heard something running and panting behind him. <laughs> I wonder what it could be. Turning around, he saw a large black beast that called out, Give me back my rose or I'll kill you. Give me back my rose or I'll kill you. The man said, Please let me have the rose. I'm supposed to bring one home for my daughter, the most beautiful daughter in the world. For all I care, but then give me your beautiful daughter for a wife. In order to get rid of the beast, the man said yes, thinking that he would not come to claim her. However, the beast shouted back to him, In eight days I'll come and get my bride. So the merchant brought each daughter what she had wanted, and each one was delighted, especially the youngest with her rose. So dad, dad's come home, given them everything they want. It's all lovely. Now, eight days later, the three sisters were sitting together at the table when something came stepping heavily up the stairs to the door. Open up! Open up! It shouted. They opened the door and were terrified when a large black beast stepped inside. Because my bride did not come to me and the time is up, I will fetch her myself. With that, he went to the youngest daughter and grabbed hold of her. She began to scream, but it did not help. She had to go away with him. This is terrifying. And when the father came home, his dearest child had been taken away. The black beast carried the beautiful maiden to his castle, where everything was beautiful and wonderful. Musicians were playing there, and below there was the garden, half summer and half winter. And the beast did everything to make her happy, fulfilling even her unspoken desires. They ate together, and she had to scoop up his food for him, for otherwise he would not have eaten. <laughs> what? Wait, what? I think she's like plonked her hand into the like porridge or something or whatever, a soup, and lifted it up, and he's like <laughs> looking out of her Wait, hand or something. What? I don't know. <laughs> but why? Otherwise, he would not have eaten. Well, he doesn't have How hands. How's he been eating before? Well, he's trying. I think he's trying to be like more dignified for her. He's trying to like have a lovely oh, right. sort of slap up meal at the table, all the fine cutlery out, but he doesn't have hands. <laughs> <laughs> that is a bit of a bind so, He's like uh, Would you mind terribly <laughs> like, No no it's fine What a grotesque image mm. Now because of all this She was very dear to the beast And um, finally she grew very fond of him too Wow So it's turned nice It's, it's, turned, it's all good It's all turned nice The abduction is all good The scooping of the porridge Fine one day, she said to him, I I'm afraid and don't know why. It seems to me that my father or one of my sisters is sick. Couldn't I see them just once? The beast led her to a mirror and said, Look inside. She looked into the mirror and it was as though she were at home. She saw her living room and her father. He really was sick from a broken heart because he had held himself guilty that his dearest child had been taken away by a wild beast and surely had been eaten up. 
If he could know how well off she was, then he would not be so sad. She also saw her two sisters sitting on the bed and crying. Her heart was heavy because of all this, and she asked the beast to allow her to go home for a few days. The beast refused for a long time, but she grieved so much that he finally had pity on her and said, Go to your father, but promise me that you will be back here in eight days. He's obsessed with eight days. <laughs> is it? Oh, is that the, the length of time at the beginning? He was like, I'm coming yeah. in eight days. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. It's got a different, um, like, diary to the rest of the <laughs> people. I use an ancient calendar. <laughs> Eight days a week. She promised. So she's, he said, please, you know, please come back. And she's promised. And as she was leaving, he called out again, do not stay longer than the eight days. So he's made it very clear. Yeah. Don't stay away longer than eight days. You've got to be back here. Wow. She knows what she's got to do then. When she arrived home, her father was overjoyed to see her once again. But sickness and grief had already eaten away at his heart so much that he could not regain his health. And within a few days, he died. Whoa. Yeah. Is that possible? What, dying from a broken heart? Of course, Adam. Yeah. Of course it is. Wow, that's pretty severe. That's a severe case of broken heart. Yeah. Yeah. Terminal. Because of her sadness, she could think of nothing else. Her father was buried, and she went to the funeral, obviously. I don't know why it's specified. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah, like, she considered it, but she's like, I've got better things to do. The sisters cried together and consoled one another. And when finally her thoughts turned to her dear beast, the eight days were long past. Don't. She needed to set a reminder on her phone. That's ridiculous. She's got the wrong calendar. Yeah. Whoops. She became frightened. And it seemed to her that he was sick too. She set forth immediately and returned to his castle. When she arrived there, everything was still and sad inside. The musicians were not playing. Black cloth hung everywhere. And the garden was entirely in winter and covered with snow. No. She looked for the beast, but he wasn't there. She looked everywhere, but she couldn't find him. Then she was doubly sad and did not know how to console herself. So she sadly went into the garden where she saw a pile of cabbage heads. Oh, lovely. Dinner. Well, they, they were old and rotten oh. and she pushed them aside. After, <laughs> Why did she push them aside? Were they in her way? After turning over a few of them, she saw her dear beast. He was lying beneath them and was dead. Whoa. What? Hang on a second. I wasn't expecting that. She quickly fetched some water and poured it over him without stopping. <laughs> without stopping <laughs> have some of that I'm not going to stop nope then he jumped up and was instantly transformed into a handsome prince whoa just have water they got married and the musicians began to play again and the summer side of the garden appeared in its splendour and the black cloth was all ripped down and together they lived happily ever after the end <laughs>
What? What do you mean that's the end? That's the end of Summer Garden, Winter Garden. Summer and Winter Garden. That's the end of the story. That is the end of the story. She... They live happily ever after. I mean, what more? I mean, that's a very classic ending to a story. It is very classic. It doesn't get much more classic um, than finding your loved one dead under a pile of rotten cabbages, pouring water on them without stopping, and they come back to life. The end. <laughs> what was that all about? Well, I was going to ask you, is that what you expected from Beauty and the Beast story? But it sounds like no. I don't think so, but then I don't really know the story, mm. weirdly enough. Mm-hmm. I can't think of if I've ever watched the Disney film or not. So no, I only had some vague notions, but I maybe that's why I'm surprised. I didn't realise it went like that. What were your vague notions? Um, I guess there was the idea that he turned into a prince. Mm. I think they danced together. I thought it would. It was like there was more of a backstory as to why he was secretly a prince. Oh, very interesting. Hmm, but, but you should raise that. It wasn't there at all. I mean, what? <laughs> what? I mean, I've got questions. Well, I think very interesting that you raise some of that, Adam. That will be coming up later. Um, but I think, in a way, what you're getting at is, in a way, this story was kind of a bit unusual. I don't know if you found it like that, but I found it quite strange in its like tempo and its rhythm and the way it was was written. It's like very yeah. sparse and quite cold. It maybe. really is. And I think perhaps one of the reasons is it's a different translation than we normally use because we had to find right. it for uh, the array story. Um, Which translation did you use? It was by uh, D. L. Ashleyman, who I believe is a folklorist, and I think it was from two thousand and one. The translation. Oh, cool. And it is from the like, kind of original Brothers Grimm uh, collection, which was a, a less sort of florid, as we've discovered. Yeah. The more they went on, the more they kind of embellished the stories. But even so, sure. it felt quite matter of fact and quite fast as well. It did, really, yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's why I, w- I was left wanting more. Yeah, you were left wanting more, okay. Yeah, because some quite dramatic things happened in that story. Yeah. But... It was just like, oh, okay, she went back to see her family, but within a couple of days, her dad died, and she watched and get buried. <laughs> and then she went off to her beast husband and um, couldn't find it, but he was under some cabbages, and he was a prince. So, all right, the end. It's sort of like, these are big events, but there was, yeah. it was a bit matter-of-fact, like you say. Not given the attention they deserve. No, but we could string exactly. this out into like a mini-series, guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Give it a bit more. Time. Where's I mean, the character development? <laughs> they've got gold there, but they've they've really squandered it. One thing I thought is it reminded me of a few other stories, some of the big ones as well that we've come across before, the big okay. old grim stories. We've got another magic mirror, like in Snow White, mirror mirror on the wall. Yes, second magic mirror. I think I'd forgotten that the mirror was quite a key element of Beauty and the Beast. Mm, yeah, so had I. Totally forgotten that. It also reminded me of Rapunzel. Uh, Rapunzel. In Rapunzel, the cause of all the events was stealing the Rapunzel salad from a garden. Oh, yeah. And in this story, the catalyst is stealing the rose from the garden. Yes. Pretty darn similar. 
that is pretty similar. You're trying to remember Rapunzel in real time, aren't you? Yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah, I saw a vacant look. You were talking about Disney. Uh, over the uh, the Christmas break, I watched the new Disney film with my family, the one with um, Emma Watson in it. Yeah. Um, and my family informed me that apparently we had the original like Disney cartoon from the 90s on video when I was a kid. But I do, I, this is something I hadn't remembered. Okay. But I did see the new one. So I can kind of just very quickly like tell you the main differences between the story we just heard and the Disney one. Yes, please. Maybe some of these will um, trigger a memory or something with me. Father doesn't die in the Disney film. Makes sense. It's a bit bleak. It's a bit bleak. In the Grimm's one, there are no singing household appliances, which you get in Disney. Oh, yes. Right? That's a very Come famous on. image, isn't it? Is there like yeah. a, a kettle? No, a teapot. T- Mrs. Potts. Mrs. Potts, yeah. Mrs. Potts. Mr. Cups. <laughs> Lumiere, the candlestick. Yes. Be our guest. Be our guest. Come on. Come on, Adam. I don't know that one, but I'm going to pretend I do. That's Yeah, got that one. And also, no Gaston. Wait, who... Arguably the best character. Who's Gaston? I remember the name. He's the kind of, like, um, the sort of, like, preening, vain, uh, arrogant guy who wants to marry the the protagonist. Oh. Yeah. And, that, and that's about it, I'd say. Um... Note to any listeners out there who've stumbled on the podcast, that's probably all we'll cover of the Disney film in this episode. (laughs) We're going to more be looking at the fairy tale side of things. So sorry to disappoint if you dropped in for some Disney chat. But, you know, you might find it interesting looking at a bit of folklore. I think it's more than likely they will. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm confident. I like you. You've grown in confidence over the years. I like yeah. that, Adam. <laughs> I think we've got some interesting stuff on the way. <laughs> oh, no pressure, Matt. <laughs> Just putting some pressure on you. No pressure, no pressure. Interesting. Now, there's a few key differences. I do... I have questions. Fire away. It's now an appropriate time to ask questions about the Brothers Grimm version of this story that we just heard. Yeah? Potentially. Potentially. I mean, don't ruin my carefully choreographed uh, (laughs) (laughs) notes, please. (laughs) I don't want to. All right, what's the biggie? My big question is, what Mm. was the beast doing under some cabbages? (laughs) What was he doing there? Why is he dead under a load of cabbages? Was there a freak cabbage accident and he got knocked down dead? What happened there? Well, you think there was like a, a passing aeroplane that like <laughs> discharged its cargo. Freak, just a total freak one in a billion uh, like event. And like a ton of cabbages just dropped on the head of a beast and killed him. You know, normally I can, I feel like I've got quite good at predicting what things you're going to pick up on and kind of yeah. preparing in advance. I hadn't looked into why the beast is dead and buried <laughs> under some rotten cabbages. <laughs> you didn't think about that. I didn't think about that. I just I mean, took that I've as got my detective cap on, and I'm think I, I'm arriving at the, the, the crime scene, and I'm thinking this doesn't add up. Why is he underneath some cabbages? Excuse me, can you back up, uh, young lady, because this is a crime scene, and you're tampering with the evidence. Some foul play is suspected here. I know. Ever since we've done 
Pied Piper, you're desperate to be a detective. <laughs> I like that. I just enjoy it. And I, I feel like there are crimes to be solved. I think we've got it. What we've got to assume, DCI okay. Adam, is that yep. um, he was out in his cabbage patch, yep. just tending his cabbages, when he, the eight days passed, and he was like, oh no, and he died of a broken heart there and then. Oh, like a very quick broken heart. And then because he was such a good cabbage farmer, his cabbages kind of grew up around him and then died and rotted away. Oh, wow. That's what happened. When the beauty, she realises after the funeral, and she she's like crying with her sister, and she realises it's, oh, it's long part, I forget what the exact words were, but long past the eight days. Was it like accidentally like <laughs> one year? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I've accidentally gone over the eight days by like two years. I've had a family in the meantime. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops, totally forgot. Oh no. Oh, no. I don't know if the oven on. <laughs> He's died of old age. <laughs> Alright, any other questions, Detective? I guess my main other question Well, I guess I got a few questions, but the other one would be, why is he a prince? Mm. Just add water, turn beast into prince. Is that something we're going to come on to? In which case, yes. I'll hold off on that. Yeah, hold fire. Question. Keep your powder dry. That will be... Okay. That will we'll get there. Yeah. Okay. In a way, we'll get there. Like, I mean, in the Brothers Grimm story, it's not explained at all, is it? It's just no. not explained. No. We'll, we'll get answers, so don't worry. We'll have to <laughs> okay, look elsewhere, good. though. The other one is the garden. Yes. What? Now, I d- again, don't know if we're coming on to this, but why is the garden half in summer, half in winter? Good question. I. How's this happened? I don't really know. I think there's obviously something kind of going on here with like um, dualities. I guess you've got the beauty and the beast. You've got the summer garden and summer the winter garden. Winter. There's some yeah. kind of thing going on there. Some sort of like balance in nature, and you know. Yeah, interesting symbolism, yeah. But it is interesting because the the Grimm's chose for the title of this story to call it the Summer and Winter Garden. So they've obviously seen a lot of value in that part of the story and they've named the story after it. They haven't called it Beauty and the Beast. So it is a really good question. And talking of the kind of like duality side of things, I think that's kind of a key aspect of the story. I think because we kind of have these two like polar opposite characters and you kind of see that they go on like two different journeys in a way through the story Mm. so there's like Belle's side the beauty side and she through the story she's like learning to love the beast you know she's learning to love that which at first appears monstrous but on the beast side he is redeemed through the power of love yeah yeah love tames the monster you know because he is really brutish and nasty so there's this like dual core ideas at the center of the story, which are like related, but they're two separate journeys that the characters go on. Yeah. Which I quite like that because we don't often get that in the fairy tales. It's kind of, you have like one main character who ends in triumph and they perhaps have adversaries, but to have like two separate characters that sort of find themselves at the same ending but going on a different journey. Different journeys to Does, each If that other. makes sense, have I overthought that movie? No, I, no, I think so. Yeah, I like that. I do wonder about the Beast's journey, though, because she, she falls in love with him and they are happy together. 
then he, when she comes back from seeing her family, he's dead, and she brings him back to life. Now, you think the act of bringing him back to life would mean happily ever after, mm. but wait, he didn't just come back to life, he's come back as a prince. Like, did he need to be a prince? I thought they were happy together. Why, is, why does he have to be a prince? He needs to be good-looking, Adam. Uh, okay. He needs to be good-looking. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think the idea is he's a beast. Like, he's literally a beast. And when they say beast, yeah. it's like he's an animal. So, you know, to have the happy ending, we do need him to become a human, preferably a good-looking one. But this is, these are values I I'm, I'm don't like, Matt. Sticking within your own species. Well... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, um, uh, but is that the point of the story? Because I thought you said in the story they were happy. Oh. Yeah, they. Yeah, I know. Yeah, there's that kind of the whole like being scared of the beast. That's kind of working. Learning to like like him. That makes sense. But then the kind of tipping point of I've fallen in love with him. And then, oh, I'm in love with him, so he's become a handsome prince. Yeah. You've kind of got to get past that point where she literally falls in love with a beast. Exactly, because she's not like, yeah, but you are a beast, and then he turns into a prince, then she falls in love with him. She fell in love with him way before that. She fell in love with a beast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, interesting, isn't it? Yeah, mm. strange. Mull on that, people. And she can mull on... Uh, the fact that she chose to ask for a rose and not candy floss. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I, I realised I interrupted your, your questions. Did you have any more? Um, no, well... I think uh, that ties it all up. Hmm. I guess my other question would be, how does the Grimm's version of this story mm -hmm. compare to other versions of story, notably French versions of the story? <laughs> what? Adam, have you been doing some research? <laughs> have you been doing some sneaky research? <laughs> I have not. I am Whoa. merely trying to get to the bottom of this and also preempt some of what I expect you might talk about but maybe not. <laughs> You're trying to preempt what I'm <laughs> going to say. That's what I do. But I got the cabbages wrong. Yeah. Darn it. But did I get the French beauty and the beast right? That's amazing. That is so impressive. You bring us perfectly on to the next part of the episode. So uh, for the rest of the evening we'll be exploring the roots and development over time of this story. And Essentially, we'll be asking, is this really a tale as old as time? Or was Mrs. Potts from the Disney film just lying? Oh, interesting question. Do you remember that song from the, the I, film? I don't, but I reckon Mrs. Potts is lying. Anyway, that's my hypothesis. Tale as old as time. Do you remember that one? No. Nope. True as it can be. Don't stop, though. Keep going. Barely even friends. Then somebody bends unexpectedly. Something like that. Who's bending unexpectedly? Don't, don't, don't think about those lyrics too hard. I'm not sure about this Disney film. <laughs> but uh, Mrs. Potts said, tale as old as time. Was she telling the truth? Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like the setup? Do you like the way I've set I, this I, up? 
absolutely love it's it. Quite, if this yeah. was a book, that would be the it's chapter clever, title. Isn't it? I was I was happy with that. I called it a day <laughs> when I came up with that. <laughs> uh, in German, summer garden, winter garden is called von dem Sommer und Wintergarten. In the Brothers Grimm's fairy tale collection, they cited the source of the story as Ferdinand Siebert. Uh, so they collected this story from him. Ferdinand was from the village of Tressa near Kassel, the Grimm's hometown in Hesse. Yeah. In their notes, the Grimm's say that the beginning of the story seems good and genuine, as in like a real oral folktale. But the ending seems very contrived. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Harsh review there. Yeah, very Uh, harsh. Yeah, so they decided to erase it from the collection and they replaced it with another story called The Singing Springing Lark. Well, hold on, Matt. I don't know this one. Well, it's a story you'd find in volume two of the collection, which we haven't got to yet. So the Grimm's said, yeah, they said, no, thank you. Goodbye. They got rid of this story. Why? Why would they do that? Well... We don't really have records of why they chucked some of their stories because they did this quite a lot. Uh, yep. But it's more than likely, once again, that they lost it. No points for guessing here because it's too French. Yeah. So we've seen this many times before. For example, they wrongly booted out Puss in Boots for being too French from their collection. Absolutely terrible decision. Criminal. Yeah. Even though it wasn't really a French story as well. It's, you know, Puss in Boots is found all over Europe and the world. However, Beauty and the Beast, Adam, Eugenius, is actually properly a French story. This one is uber French. I thought as much. You were on it. I think there is just something about it, isn't there? Do you, do you, is that, what, is that le, what it is? Le Belle et le Bête. Bête, ah, oh, that's le it. Le Belle yeah. et le Bête. Yeah, very yeah. good. Well, you know what that means. We must adieu to France, Adam, to discover the roots of this story. We're actually heading to the French salons of the 18th century. Oh, excellent. I suggest we dress the part as well so we don't stand out. Yeah, do I need to, what do I need to bring? A wig, I reckon, would be quite okay. handy. Curly wig. Yep. Um, like, like a powdered wig, yeah. Yeah, some powder. That's a good shout as well, actually. Yeah, maybe a beauty spot. Sort of get one of those on. Oh, beautiful, yeah. Yeah, some like sort of, I don't know, tights and... Uh, I don't are know, we doing d- panto? <laughs> 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 so, are you, are you all dressed up? Are you ready I'm to go? I'm dressed up okay, now. Let's I'm ready head. to go. So I'm going to bid Auf Wiedersehen to Germany and bonjour to the French salons. Nice. So the salons is not something we've uh, gone into detail about before, but they're a huge part of the sort of history of fairy tales and a uh, sort of rich part of French cultural history as well. So, allons-y. Bonjour, salons. D'accord. So, from the mid-1660s... The swinging 1660s, as <laughs> I like to call them. Socialites, aristocrats, and distinguished persons in general would regularly meet in groups, uh, usually around someone's house, where often the host was a prominent woman, and people would converse, debate, share stories and the like. And these get-togethers became known as sal- salons. Feels weird to say in English. It doesn't. Salons. <laughs> That'll be 18 pounds for a haircut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And they were the center of French intellectual and cultural life for around a century. So yeah, I mean, really like picture, you know, the curly wigs, stockings, china cups, you know. This is high society yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. How terribly witty, that kind of, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You, you can picture it, right? Kind of Regency-esque. Oh, absolutely. It sounds like an absolute hoot. I'd be there. <laughs> uh, one fad at these salons that became popular early on was a game in which you told a fantastical story in the style of stories told by nannies or governesses to children. These stories evolved over time and eventually became known as contes du fée, tales of fairies or fairy tales. What? You're blowing my mind, Matt. Yeah. Did they just did they just yeah. up and invent fairy tales? They just went and up and invented fairy tales. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Told you it was an important part of the history of fairy That's tales. Pretty important. To be honest, I th- it's something we you know we don't have time tonight. I'm sure we're going to come back to salons at some point. So uh, we'll go more into that. But yeah, conte du fait, fairy tale. That's where the word comes from. Tale of the fairies. Distinct from marken. You know, Kinder and Hausmarken, which is the German word. Folk stories. Yeah. Hey, that's a whole other rabbit hole. Let's not go now. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, fairy tales have just been invented. Uh, they were exclusively for adults, often humorous, often a bit saucy. Ooh, not for kids. They'd feature a romantic love story and a benevolent or malevolent fairies as well. So they always had fairies in them. Okay. And a love story. And this genre became super popular and hundreds and hundreds of contes du fait were published in France up until the revolution in 1789 where they came to a distinct halt I can imagine bit bourgeois the, t- the taste for them yeah um, as you say too bourgeois one of these contes du fait published in 1740 was titled La Belle et la Bête written by one Gabriel Suzanne Babot de Villeneuve Oh, like the guy who directed. Like you. the director, yes. <laughs> that's how I remembered how to pronounce it. Yeah. I was going with Villeneuve at first, but that's not the Spanish version. Villeneuve. <laughs> Villeneuve, yeah. Obviously related to the director. Very creative uh, family. Very creative, yeah. So, uh, yeah, La Belle et la Bette, published in 1740. This is the first ever Beauty and the Beast. It's novel length, about 100 pages long or so. So I didn't read it. Whoa. But this is The Birth of Beauty and the Beast. It starts with Madame Villeneuve in 1740. But only a few decades later, La Belle et la Bette was reworked by Jean-Marie Le Prince de Beaumont in 1756. She published a shorter, condensed version of the story in uh, Magasin des Enfants which is translated as Young Mrs.'s Magazine, which was a magazine aimed at teaching French to English schoolgirls. Oh, interesting. And interestingly, uh, that publication was one of only a handful of fairy tale publications aimed exclusively at children and with the intent of teaching children like moral and behavioral lessons. So by this point, it's not really of the same spirit as the earlier experimental fun constufet from the salons that were aimed at adults. And, yeah. and this was, I believe this was like the start of the reformulation of what a fairy tale is, sort of more akin to how we know them now, like aimed at children with like clear, distinct morals. 
that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we have two early Beauty and the Beasts published in the mid-1700s. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Best part of 100 years before we start seeing the Brothers Grimm on the case. I'm wondering, I've got a theory yeah. that, that when they're having these little games at these salons where they're... Um, They've got to tell these stories in the style of, like, you know, a bedtime story mm. that these nannies were telling. That mm. they had to, in each story, somewhere, slip in a reference to cabbages. And oh, I reckon when they, okay. they came up with this, they got to the end and thought, oh, no, I didn't do the cabbages. And he was found under some cabbages, and he's a prince, the end. Well, that was like the homework. Uh, like, at our next salon, <laughs> uh, make sure your story has cabbages. <laughs> was that the idea? So I hope, yeah, and then one I of them was come so. walking through the door and was like, oh, the cabbages. Oh, got us quick get that in at the end. <laughs> so that's if there are cabbages in this one. I appreciate that was the Brothers Grimm version. That's true. You know, that's the thing. I didn't check for cabbages in these versions. Yeah. <laughs> you oh, probably were no. focused on bigger things. But. <laughs> Just to say as well, like that sort of potted history of the salons was very brief version of the history. And that's... <laughs> That's to the best of my understanding. That's kind of how those fairy tales started. I got it from the the Oxford Companion to Fairy Tales. So that's according to the Oxford Companion to Fairy Tales. Fair enough. That's a pretty good citation. I'm happy yeah. with that. <laughs> so we've got uh, yeah two versions of um, Beauty and the Beast from the 1700s. The very okay. first one, super long novel length, and then a sort of condensed version of that a few years later. So the first original story by Villeneuve. <laughs> is, uh, yeah, it's much longer, and it gives a backstory to the characters, which is what you were asking for earlier. Yes. You wanted to know. Here we go. Phil Nerve's got oh, you covered. Oh, am I going to find out? Yeah. Oh, I'm sitting up straight now. I'm ready. So Belle, with a beauty, is, yes. she's actually a princess, but she's raised as a merchant's daughter. Whoa. Now, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> that is such a plot twist. I think because her father, the king, was like killed by an evil fairy or something. I didn't make a note of that. So she's like hidden within this merchant's family. Now the beast had been turned into a beast because he'd spurned the advances of a fairy. Oh! So a fairy was like sidling up to him, making fairy eyes, was very keen, and he was like not into it. And she was really angry and turned him into a beast. Wow, so he was a handsome prince. Yeah. Also, the Villeneuve one, the original one, it's got the living furniture servants in it, like in Disney, and unlike in the Grimm's one. So they go living right... Living furniture? The servants, the, like, Mrs. Potts. You're trying to tell me Mrs. Potts is in the original. <laughs> She's not called Mrs. Potts. But she is a talking but you've teapot. Got, you no, know, it's just like, I don't know. I told, I didn't read it. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Please don't ask me too much detail. But okay. there are living appliances acting as servants. Okay. <laughs> well, like a toaster that sings. No magic mirror, though. That's not in the first okay. version. Okay. Also, I think you're going to like this difference. Uh, when they're living in the castle together, Belle and the Beast, and they're kind of getting to know each other, Belle has to repeatedly turn down the Beast's requests to sleep with him. Oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, these are the not-safe-for-kids ones. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no. Exactly. Okay. Well, that brings us uh, very nicely on to the second version by Beaumont from a few years later, the cool. condensed safer version. Ground. We're on safer yeah. ground here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not certified grim, this one. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the Beaumont version was published in uh, 1756. I did read this version. 
because it was the one we were going to read in our special episode. I see. <laughs> and this version, it's the shorter one, it's the condensed one, it's the more well-known one. It's kind of like the canonical version. It's considered the the Beauty and the Beast, if that makes right. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Beaumont, she cuts out loads of characters. She cuts out the backstories as well and crucially made it more child-friendly. She swaps the beast asking to sleep with Belle every night to the beast asking to marry Belle every night. <laughs> <laughs> I love the, I love the like, sanitizing. That's yeah. brilliant. <laughs> just like literally change what. Will you marry me? Please, please, will you just, will you just marry me? <laughs> Uh, I'm not in the mood. <laughs> I'm not in the... I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> not tonight, dear. Not tonight. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow. Oh, don't get in a strop about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. We're having a lovely dinner. You're being silly now. Uh, oh, um, now, one of the key differences in Beaumont's canonical version to the Grimm's version... Summer and Winter Garden, is that in Beaumont's version, the sisters are evil. So in our Grimm's version, the sisters were just nice sisters. But it, oh. in the kind of official Beauty and the Beast, the sisters are evil. So Interesting. These nasty sisters, they trick Belle into not going back to Beast in the allotted time because they're jealous. So it's not just that she forgot she was having, she was so sad. They, she was stitched up. Yeah, they trick her into it. Yeah. She probably did set an alarm on her phone, but they turned it off. And when Belle does finally get back to Beast's pa palace, he's half dead because he starved himself because she won't marry him. This is a really healthy relationship. And then she says, yes, okay, I'll marry you. Of course I'll marry you. What a, what a fool I've been. And then he transforms into the gorgeous prince and he informs her that a wicked fairy cursed me to be in that form until a beautiful virgin should consent to marry me. Okay, I've got an issue with that. <laughs> yeah, just one. From a storytelling perspective, yeah. that doesn't make sense. So there's a fairy that desperately wants this prince. You know, ah. be, be my lover. No, 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 fine. I'm gonna put a spell on you, make you a beast. The only thing that's gonna undo that spell is some other beautiful woman getting you. What, that doesn't make any sense. I've caused confusion here. So okay. this is different from the first version. So right. the first version by Villeneuve has that whole, the fairies transformed him because he spurned right. her advances. That's not in the Beaumont version. I see. So she's done away so with the backstories and you've had no okay. information about that until right now. He's like, yes, I was transformed into a, yeah, a beast until a beautiful virgin should consent to marry me. Yeah, so that is different from the Villeneuve version. This is the Beaumont version. Right, okay. Yeah. Just one final thing on all these different versions. That's kind of it, but one thing that I thought interesting is the descriptions of the beast in the different versions. Okay, Because yeah. when we think of the beast, we kind of see the, like, Disney beast, or at least I do. Yeah. Right, that's what... Sort of looks like um, a sort of big bear thing. Yeah, big bear with horns and a suit. Yeah. But in the Grimm's one, as we saw, he's only described as a black beast. With no hands that needs... <laughs> With no hands. <laughs> and it's made very up. clear he doesn't have opposable thumbs. Uh, it's similar in the Beaumont version, so the short one. Uh, he's only described as dreadful 
or frightful, depending on the translation. I couldn't find the original okay. French word. Uh, but Villeneuve gives us a little bit more detail than the Grimm's in Beaumont. So, uh, after the father picks the rose uh, in the snow at the beginning of the story uh, yeah. and, and hears a noise behind him, he was terribly alarmed upon perceiving at his side a horrible beast which, with an air of fury, laid upon his neck a kind of trunk resembling an elephant's and said with a terrific voice, Who gave thee permission to gather my roses? And then later on in the story, it says that Bell noticed the terrible clank of the scales. So, in what? in Villeneuve's in version, Earth? he's kind of like an amphibious elephant man. With scales? Yeah, like a fish elephant man thing. I'm picturing a giant anteater or something. Like an armadillo Yeah, or yeah, something. something like that, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's Not weird. quite as attractive. No. <laughs> <laughs> there, the idea is that he's a just disgusting, ugly beast. Yeah. Uh, but it's not what we picture. And it's interesting in, you know, in the Beaumont version of the Grimm's one, it's kind of just left to your imagination. So it's like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, tr- I'm kind of trying to imagine the, like, the Disney writers, you know, because they wouldn't have had the Disney one. Do you know what I mean? Like, no. they would have gone to this source material and been like, oh... Okay. Well, we can't draw it like that. <laughs> Disney walked in and said, lose the trunk. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we got a movie. <laughs> so, wow. as far as I can tell, uh, we can say Beauty and the Beast is from a published literary fairy tale. It's a story invented by Madame Villeneuve, popularized by Madame Beaumont. So, it would seem that it's not a tale as old as time, actually, Mrs. Potts. Mm. We can clearly date it back to 1740. That is fascinating. Take that, Mrs. Potts. So, Beauty and the Beast might be an invention of uh, Madame Villeneuve, but this story was actually formed out of a wider backdrop of other stories that have circulated forever, that are as old as time. Okay. So, Beauty and the Beast is very much related to the animal bridegroom group of stories, which we discussed in our recent episode, The Three Feathers. Yes. So these are stories of humans marrying other animals. <laughs> Which is a nice thought. It's a lovely thought. And we were kind of talking earlier about kind of the meaning of Beauty and the Beast. And we discussed a lot of like the meanings of these types of stories. Why we find stories of humans marrying animals. We talked about it in that episode. So if you want more on that, the three feathers head over there. So yeah. Perfect. So it might have been uh, penned and invented by Villeneuve but it's related to this family of wider stories. And one related story in particular stands out. The tale of Cupid and Psyche. Ooh. Cupid and Psyche is a story from ancient Rome. Ooh. And it's one story that's found in a book called The Golden Ass, which is the only surviving Roman era novel that we have. Seriously? 
so the story of Cupid and Psyche, it's a very early antecedent of Beauty and the Beast with many similar things going on. It's also kind of considered one of the first ever published fairy tales. So it's quite an important part, again, of the history of fairy tales. So are you up for hearing an abridged version of Cupid and Psyche? <laughs> you don't even have to ask. Now, it is very, very long. And I've done my absolute best to kind of condense it down. But I think it's like, it's such a big part of fairy tales that like, and this is the like perfect place to do it. So we're going to, we're going to do it. We're going to dive in to an ancient Roman story from a novel. I'm ready. Let's do it. Cupid and Psyche. A king and a queen had three daughters. They were all very good looking, but the youngest, my word. The poverty of language is unable to express its due praise. So people would travel from all over the world to look at her and they like strewed her way with flowers and they cheered as she passed by. In fact, she was so worshipped for her beauty that the goddess Venus found that people were neglecting her own altars and temples as they turned their devotion to this girl. Oh dear, that, that cannot stand. Absolutely. Venus was furious that she's being overlooked because of a mortal girl and she vowed to make her pay. So she called her son Cupid and she said, my dear son, punish that contumacious beauty. Give your mother a revenge as sweet as her injuries are great. Infuse into the bosom of that haughty girl a passion for some low, mean, unworthy being, so that she may reap a mortification as great as her present exaltation and triumph. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. So Cupid is going to shoot his little arrow down and... Get her to <laughs> fall in love with some someone or something she shouldn't. Some low, mean, unworthy being. <laughs> it's a good setup for a story, right? That is a good setup. Oh, I'm glad you're invested in this story. Okay, so yeah. Venus has asked him to do that. Cupid said, All right, Mum, I'm on it. Now, in Venus's gardens are two fountains, one with sweet waters and one with bitter. Cupid filled up two vases, one with each of the waters. Uh, he then, like, sort of slung them on his back with his bow, and he raced to Psyche's chambers where she was asleep. Cupid crept up and poured a few droplets of the bitter water on Psyche's lips. And then he he didn't, like, shoot the arrow at her. He, like, he just took out the arrow and he prodded her side with the point of his arrow. So he's, you know, he's pierced her with his arrow. Okay. He stabbed her. <laughs> he stabbed her. While she's sleeping. Yeah. Well, and understandably at this, she woke up and opened her eyes directly on Cupid. But he's invisible, so she didn't see anything. Oh, I didn't know Cupid was invisible. But it startled him so much that he accidentally pricked himself with his own arrow. <laughs> What's a muppet? While he's looking at her. <laughs> this is like a little, great little uh, skit. This is great. Now, all of a sudden, as soon as he did that, he regretted what he did. Pouring the bitter waters and trying to make her fall in love with the lowly beast. Uh, so instead, he's got the other bottle of the sweet waters and he poured the balmy drops of joy all over her hair. So he's put the bitter waters in her lips, but now he's poured the bottle of uh, happy water on her hair. <laughs> okay, happy no, water. She's <laughs> trying to get past this bit without too many questions. No, don't bother me now. <laughs> Mummy's drinking her happy water, okay? <laughs> yeah, so Psyche, Psyche hasn't really understood what's happened. She's just gone like, oh, ah. Oh, that's something in my side. That's weird. And then gone back to sleep. Yeah, that's really weird. Now, <laughs> okay. from that day on, 
Psyche was shunned by everyone. No one wanted to marry her. Her sisters got married and they left home, but Psyche was alone and miserable. Why? Well, her parents have thought about that. They've said, why? She's the most beautiful person ever. Yeah. Uh, and they're not stupid. And they thought, you know what? I reckon we've peeved off a god here. That's yeah. probably what's happened. So yeah. they consulted the Oracle of Apollo, who said, The virgin is destined for the bride of no mortal lover. Her future husband awaits her on the top of the mountain. He is a monster whom neither gods nor men can resist. Mm. Yeah. Her parents are really sad about this, but Psyche said, you know, hey, I had this coming. You know, I get it now. Everyone was calling me Venus, which I didn't deserve. You know, take me to the mountain of my fate. So she's taking it on the chin. Wow. They all went up to the summit of the mountain together in a sad procession. And Psyche stood on the ridge of the mountain her heart's beating fast, she's terrified, uh, when all of a sudden, the gentle Zephyr raised her from the earth and bore her with an easy motion into a flowery dale where she fell asleep. I'm gonna have to stop you there, Matt. What did you just say to me? I didn't understand those words. So they've all gone to the top of the mountain. She's like standing on the edge of the mountain, like the precipice. And she's like, well, this is where I gotta go. And then the Zephyr has come What's the Zephyr doing? What's he? What's that? <laughs> the Zephyr. That car? You know, fly away on my Zephyr. <laughs> yeah, on the, on the Zephyr song, <laughs> which I assumed was about a car, but I don't know what. He came in. What is the Zephyr? It's the wind. It's the west wind. Or the Zephyrus is uh, the Greek personification of the west wind. So the light wind has blown her up and what? She's become a flower? No. <laughs> no. What's going on? She's picked her up. He said... Revved up to liberty, super friendly. <laughs> yeah, Anthony Kiedis has just like picked her up, and then <laughs> and then bore her down into like into a flowery dale. So it's picked her up, taken her somewhere else. I see. <laughs> There's a lot of singing um, in this episode. <laughs> so this is basically mm. she's basically Dorothy, right? Ooh, yeah. Is that what happens? She puts on the red shoes, clicks them, and she gets picked up by a twister or something oh yeah yeah it's like the sort of um kansas version of ancient greece (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly so yeah so that's happened you're happy with that not happy but we'll move on so when she finally woke up she looked around and she was in a lovely garden and then she saw a magnificent palace she entered it and it was all wonderfully decorated and then a disembodied voice suddenly said, all this is yours. We whose voices you hear are your servants. And the voice then suggested having a bath and that dinner would be ready at her convenience. Wow, so she's got like, um, it's like a digital assistant. Like she's got a smart home basically. It's like. (laughs) She's got an Alexa, yeah. (laughs) It's got Alexa set up. Running bath. (laughs) It's quite sci-fi. So yeah, she's had a bath, got ready and she went down for dinner. Uh, and it was all served up, seemingly uh, by invisible servants. And there was music drifting from the hall, but you couldn't see who was playing it. It was all very magical. <laughs> She's like, hello? Is anybody here? <laughs> wow, this is kind of eerie. And um, she finishes dinner and uh, she retired to the bedroom where it's pitch black and you can't see anything in there. And then the husband arrived. 
do you remember she was like prophesied to marry a hideous beast or something? Yes. The husband arrived, but she couldn't see him because it's pitch black. And then they got to know each other. Uh, look. Yeah. Uh, turn the light on first, just to be sure. Is that not just good advice? Well, or is it just a case that the light switches all the way? I don't over think there was time. Oh. There's no time. There's no time. No. And this repeats itself. This sort of pattern. Oh, does it? So she, oh, yeah. <laughs> she's <laughs> has dinner and is looked after, uh, and then goes to bed and is looked after. And he's away during the day, and she thinks she'd love to know what he looks like, but he forbids it. And she's like, Alexa, turn the lights on. <laughs> and he's like, no. Oh, no. no. <laughs> he's like, I didn't wire that up yet. <laughs> <laughs> you can try that all you like, but it's not going to work. You know, so he's forbidden her. No way. And, you know, they're having yeah. a good time for now. So, you know, whatever. And she doesn't Whatever mind. works. <laughs> whatever works, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And then at some point she got pregnant as well. Oh. Uh, yeah. But eventually she started to miss her family. And so she asked her husband, Monster, and finally he consented that her sisters could come and visit. So she told the Zephyr to go and get them, and he did. Oh, right. The Zephyr's still around, yeah. And he brought all the sisters back singing. Um, yeah. I'm not going to sing the Zephyr song again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Do, do, do. <laughs> you are now arriving at your destination. Uh, and um, so her sisters were there. They hugged, and she said, "Come on, you got to have the tour." And the disembodied voice showed the sisters around all the palace and all the splendor, and it's all amazing. Yeah. But all this wealth started to make the sisters a bit envious, mm. and they started asking about the monster and about what what he's like, because obviously they haven't seen him. He's away during the day. Yeah. And after a while, Psyche confesses. She said, okay, I don't, know, I don't know what he's like. He only comes at night. And the sisters said, just take a lamp to bed and at night, light it when he's asleep. And also have a knife ready in case he is a monster so you can cut his head off. Okay, good advice, I guess. Finally, the sisters go. You know, it's lovely. You know, we must do this more often. Zephyr. And then, you know, they're gone. But yeah. there's a doubt planted in Psyche's mind now. And at some point, she couldn't bear it any longer. She had to know. So one night, when the husband fell asleep, she crept out of bed and picked up her oil lamp and knife that she'd hidden in the bedroom. She lit the lamp and peered at the husband. He wasn't a monster. It was Cupid. What? And he was the most beautiful man she'd ever seen. It's Cupid, Adam. That's an epic spoiler. Uh, not a spoiler. Plot twist. Plot twist. That's an epic one. You didn't see that coming? I did not see wow. that coming. I was thinking, how's Cupid going to fit into this? Because I thought he was in love with her because he stabbed himself. Yeah, well. And that, that answers that there question. There you go. So. What? She could. So he. <laughs> so many questions. I mean, so many questions. Yeah, he's, he's, the, he's the guy that she's been with every night. Yeah, I don't like him. You don't like Cupid? That's not good behaviour, is it? Well, apparently Tricking it was. a woman into, you know, getting to know you every night without, like, purposefully not letting her see you. Yeah, but the thing is, though, now she's seen him, she's even happier. Okay, that's good. You know, he is drop-dead gorgeous. And she, you know, she couldn't believe it, so she leaned in closer to get a better look. And some of the oil spilt from the lamp, and the drips seared on Cupid's shoulder. 
And he woke up at this yeah. and he looked straight at her. And, you know, in a fluster, he realized what had happened. He spread his wings and he flew out of the window. Oh, no. So she's like, oh, she chased him and then fell out of the window because she can't fly and landed on the floor below. And then he turns around midair and he looks at her and he says, you know, I can't believe you did that, Psyche. You'll never see me again. <laughs> yeah. No. All because she spilled a little bit of oil. All of a sudden, everything vanished and she found that she was near the city where her sisters lived. So she, she sort of walked in all upset, told them everything. And then the sisters thought to themselves, hmm, maybe Cupid will marry me now. Mm. Yeah, I've heard he's um, free and single now. <laughs> and then each of them, like, separately, went up to the mountain, stood on the precipice of the mountain, called to the Zephyr, and then jumped off the mountain, but fell down to their deaths and were dashed on the rocks below. Why was, was the Zephyr busy? Was Anthony off with Flea? He's on a world tour. <laughs> We're on our 2005 global tour. <laughs> you should have checked before you jumped. Oh, no. Um, I, li- I just like the idea that they did that like three minutes apart from each other. One of them is like, Zephyr! She's like, I hope that doesn't happen to me. Anyway, <laughs> Zephyr! <laughs> so the sisters are dead. Psyche, wow. meanwhile, roamed about looking for her husband. And one day she stumbled on a temple of Ceres, I think you pronounce it. It was like the Greek god, goddess of agriculture. Yeah. Uh, now, inside the temple is loads of stuff all just like scattered about and mixed up. And so- yeah. Psyche thought, what a mess. And she just tidied it all up. Ceres appeared and said, thank you, Psyche. You know, I like you and I want to help get you out of this predicament, but I can't really free you from Venus's hatred. But what I can do is give you some pointers. And she recommends going to Venus and just like prostrating yourself and begging forgiveness and just mm-hmm. ask her, you know, what you must do. So Psyche uh, went to the Temple of Venus and did just that. Venus was not amused and just basically said, oh, you're the worst, Psyche. I hate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, oh, okay, all right, fine. I'm going to make a trial of your housewifery. So Venus sets her four challenges you with me no good (laughs) all right challenge one (laughs) carry on yeah psyche was led to the storehouse of uh, the temple uh, where there was a great quantity of wheat and barley and millet and pulses and all stuff like that and venus said sort all that big mess into individual piles by nightfall you know like separate them oh yeah yeah and psyche thought there's no way that's impossible and she just sat down in despair but an ant came and took uh, I know where this took is going on we've her. had this before we've had it before <laughs> and then uh, the ant got his friends and they all all the ants swarmed in and separated the grains and when Venus arrived everything was all ordered and she was like oh. so on to challenge two Psyche uh, has to get some golden wool from the special golden fleeced sheep beyond the river <gasps> of like um, Jason and the Argonauts yeah play. yeah I think so yeah the fleece was it golden the fleece the golden fleece yes it was golden, yeah. yeah nice so Psyche went to the riverside um, she's about to attempt the task she's about to cross over and go to the sheep when all of a sudden the river god reared up and said whoa 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 don't go in there when the sun's rising 
the sheep are like mad with rage and they just destroy everything. But when it's midday, they go and chill and seek shade. <laughs> I love the idea that sheep, when the sun comes up, just go mental. <laughs> During the day, that's brilliant. I'm just enjoying that image. Sheep out of control. Eventually they've calmed down and they've gone to get some shade because they've got all tired yeah. in the heat. Yeah. And she pops over and just picks the fleece that's like stuck in the hedges and the bushes and the trees from where they've yep. gone mad. And so she's got the golden wool. Uh, now, to be perfectly honest, Adam, just before recording, I found that there was a fourth trial. I originally thought it was three. So I haven't written down the third trial. I think it's something like she has to climb a cliff edge and get some water or something. But I'm not really sure. I'm just, I'm just being, I'm just putting my cards on the table there. Fair enough. <laughs> it, I appreciate your honesty. In the one I read, there are only three challenges, but I've discovered that there are properly four challenges. So, okay. final challenge. Yeah. Venus said, "Okay, now Psyche, take this box, and I want you to go to the underworld, to Prosperine, or Persephone, and inform her that Venus would like some of her beauty." Because thanks to someone, Venus has been looking after a sick son and has lost some of her beauty. Now, put it in the box, Psyche, and come back. Psyche thought, well, I'm done for now. There's only one way to get to Hades, get to the underworld. So she climbs a high tower and is about to throw herself off. When the tower instead said to her, stop that. No, no, no. I know a route down to the underworld and I can get you past Cerberus, the three-headed dog, and past Sharon, the ferryman. So I'm gonna I'm gonna help you get there, but make sure when you've got the beauty in the box, don't look in it. Just go straight back to Venus. Okay. Brilliant. So she she gets down without having to kill herself. She meets Prosperine or Persephone and gets the beauty in the box, and she's heading back to Venus. But on the way, Desire got the better of her, and she thought, yeah, it won't be a problem if I open the box and put just a little bit of the beauty on my cheeks. You. Uh explicitly told this is not going to end well when she opened the box there was nothing in there but a deep sleep which enveloped her and she collapsed to the floor fast asleep oh no <laughs> oh no where is she she's out of the underworld but she's not yet in the land of the no i think she, i think she's in the land of the living she's she just is. asleep on the side of the road somewhere Okay. But fortunately, Adam, Cupid was um, convalescing at his mum's after the oil burn. He was getting better. Still a bit emotionally scarred. I think he's being a bit dramatic, but... But he's not done with being dramatic, and he thought, you know, I no. can't bear it any longer. I need to be near my beloved. And he there was like a gap in the window. He just raced out of there, and he found his way to Psyche, and he found her fast asleep on the road. And uh, he put the sleep back in the box and woke her up. Oh, then, quick as a flash, Cupid went up to Zeus in heaven and he pleaded his case. He's like, let us be together, Zeus. I really want to be with her. I love her. And Zeus said, all right, okay, Cupid. Right, I'll help you if you, in return, give me a hand that if any maiden catches my eye, you know, she'll be interested in me. And they shake on it. And Cupid's that like... That feels oh. like a nasty little deal, doesn't it? Ooh. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> so they shake on it and uh, Zeus went off to Venus and he said, you know, Venus, come on, cut the boys some slack. And she said, oh, all right, fine then. And uh, then uh, Psyche was brought up to Mount Olympus. She was given a cup of ambrosia 
which is the like food of the gods. <laughs> it's the custard, yeah. And Zeus said, drink this, Psyche, and be immortal. Nor shall Cupid ever break away from the knot in which he is tied, but these nuptials shall be perpetual. Thus, Psyche became at last united to Cupid, and in due time, they had a daughter born to them, whose name was Pleasure. Oh. The end. Cupid and Psyche gave birth to pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap your head around that. that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Massive story. What a story. What a story. Mm. I hope I did it justice in my kind of summing up. No, it was epic. Got some questions. <laughs> um, sure. One of them is why when the box was opened did it contain a deep sleep yeah. and not beauty who what's what's the mix up there Has someone played a trick <laughs> I don't Venus know playing a trick yeah was someone in the underworld playing a trick what's going on there yeah it's very odd isn't it I don't know I mean yeah. a lot of it doesn't make any sense at all <laughs> like also surely to some extent she'd know that he wasn't a monster even if you can't see him if she's in yeah. bed with him you would think you know she'd feel a wing or two yeah so that doesn't make any sense no um yeah it's such a massive story that's huge i mean it's different to beauty and the beast but obviously connected you've got the monster husband yeah trapped in the palace with the invisible helpers yeah you've got the nasty sisters as well but then we get the like extra bit at the end where she goes on like a quest and through like trials to win him back to like prove her housewifery. Yeah. Massive. Kind kind of an incredible story. Did you enjoy it? I really enjoyed it. That's an epic one. Well, just to give a tiny bit of background to uh to the Golden Ass. So this was a book published at some point in the second century AD. It's actually called Metamorphoses. Not to be confused with Ovid's Metamorphoses, but it's of course. <laughs> which is another book we've talked about. But um, it's more commonly known as the Golden Ass, and it was written by Apuleius, who was a Roman rhetorician, lawyer, writer, and philosopher, who hailed from Hippo, which is in modern-day Algeria. Right. And the Brothers Grimm, in their notes on Summer and Winter Garden, make mention of the similarity to Cupid and Psyche. Uh, and just one final thing. Um, that you you picked up on i think you were you saying like we've heard of psyche before i think you were right well very vaguely yeah, yeah. so do you remember in our first episode of the series our lady's child the pandora box jar mix-up yes that we discussed a few episodes back yes here it is this is the mix-up so if i can remember <laughs> off the top of my head people who listen to that episode should hopefully remember pandora doesn't have a box she has a jar it should be yeah. pandora's jar but it was incorrectly translated by erasmus in like the 16th century i believe as pandora's box and then that version became the kind of popular version of the story 
And so yeah. ever since then, in Europe, it's known as Pandora's box, but she had a jar. And it's likely that Erasmus was mixing up Pandora with Psyche, who did have a box. Yes, and that was the mention. Yes, 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 I remember now. And the words are quite similar in Greek. It's like puxos or pithos for box and jar. So it's quite an easy mistake to make. Right. And here we see that she's forbidden from opening the box, unlike Pandora, who wasn't forbidden from opening the box. Right, so the idea of being forbidden of opening the box comes from... Psyche! This story. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Whoa. So it's pretty... It's it's a pretty monumental story. Yeah, it's a big moment, Adam. Yeah. I'm just thinking about Anthony Kiedis lifting up women on a mountain. <laughs> oh, I'm definitely going to take that bit of audio out of context. And send that to you. I'm just thinking of Anthony Kiedis lifting up women on a mountain. <laughs> I mean, without context. I love it when you say things like that. It sounds mental. <laughs> oh, my. Right. Well, so just to tie, tie all this massive episode in together. So the golden yep. ass came back into fashion. It was from the like Roman era, disappeared, came back into fashion in the late medieval period. And we start to see it translated out of Latin and into local languages. And by the 1700s, it would have been well known to Villeneuve and Beaumont, who wrote the original Beauty and the Beast story. And Cupid in Psyche was the beginning of a family of Beauty and the Beast type stories where a beautiful woman accepts an ugly husband. Yeah, so while Beauty and the Beast is, you know, really technically an authored fairy tale, we can kind of see that it comes from this other tradition of stories. And I, I think we, uh, we should march onward to the scores. I think my brain can't take too much more. I think <laughs> that's a good idea. Let's climb out of that rabbit hole. So this is the part of the podcast where Matt and I now give the story we've just heard a score out of 10 each for a possible maximum of 20 points. Uh, so what what do I think about that story? I liked it. I liked the story. Hmm. The Brothers Grimm version is a little bit sparse, like you said, hmm. a little bit cold. And it was kind of fun to hear the other elements of the story sort of expanded upon in the two French versions mm. you, you sort of went through. I like the cabbages. <laughs> cabbages like is the highlight. the scooping of the food into the mouth was kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed that. All the important stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Yeah, it was quite a functional story, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, it was quite it was quite tricky to read, to be honest. It was all very. Yeah. She did this, then said that, then they were sad, then she went here. Uh, it was just it, quite like oh, it's just it was it was odd. It was yeah, cold, I guess, as you said. It was. Um, it w it didn't have the sort mm. of romantic feel I imagined it would have. It almost felt to me like as if you'd taken the Beaumont version and you'd given it to a computer. And said, like, yeah. make this into a story in, like, four paragraphs. That's what it kind of felt like to me. <laughs> That's what, yeah, yeah. So it's really distilled down to key plot points without mm. 
too much else, I don't think. That's exactly it, yeah. And I think it suffers for that. Mm -hmm. It ultimately left me wanting more. Mm -hmm. Same, I think. Which I think is going to end up losing it marks. Yeah. What do you reckon? I think I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Yeah, good score, I reckon. I think that's yeah. a, that sounds about right. Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, you might be surprised to hear this, but I think in some ways Disney improved this story. The essence of Beauty and the Beast is learning to love and learning to be loved. But there's kind of something missing. Like, there's not much action going on. Yeah. And I, I think, as I said earlier, Disney adds the character of Gaston who is like, yeah, this like self-obsessed guy who wants to marry Belle. And the like denouement of the Disney film is Gaston like rousing the villagers to go and kill the beast. And, you know, not only does it like add more jeopardy and like a nice satisfying ending, you know, rather than the beast being like, oh, you left me and I'm going to die. Um, it's also like a brilliant satire on the idea of the like handsome Prince Charming, who yeah. like Gaston would have been in the old films. Yeah, but it's actually not the hero. Yeah, he's he's the villain, really. And it was like Disney was like mocking its own invention in a way. Yeah. I think when you strip all that out, it is just this sort of odd story about a, a woman marrying a an ugly animal beast. Yeah. Which, you know, does have a lot of powerful stuff in it that we explored in the, the Three Feathers episode. But um, yeah, I do think this is lacking something. So I'm going to go six as well. Wow. Yeah. Unanimous score. Mm -hmm. 12 out of 20. Yeah. I'm happy with that. I'm, I'm happy when we agree. That is a good result for me. Yeah, it's um, good. I mean, it is good. It's not... Like, at the start of last year, we had uh, the surprise story of Puss in Boots, which, uh, like, blew our minds. And this uh, hasn't quite lived up to those giddy heights. No. I haven't quite got, got I that. I don't think it has, really. Je ne sais quoi, if I may carry on Puss the French. Puss in Boots is... Oh, you... you Please speak away, parlay away. Um, it's not Puss in Boots, is it? It's certainly not. Now I just thought of two things, both related yeah. to each other. Oh, that's. I'm just going to just pop this in at the end of the episode. Mm. Just thinking, I haven't seen it, but Shrek, mm. Beauty the Beast, kind of thing. Uh, you oh parallels, parallels. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then. Just very quickly tying into that and also tying back into our Christmas episode. Whoa. One of my gifts to you yes. was the DVD of Puss in Boots. Yeah. It's just announced this last week that they're doing Puss in Boots 2. No. Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> Are you for real right now, Adam? I am absolutely for real. What? I mean, wasn't the last movie like 10, 15 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> yes, the long-awaited sequel. You know what 2022 needs? A Puss in Boots, <laughs> Antonio Banderas Puss in Boots sequel. People are screaming for it. That's what the world People needs. People are absolutely in the streets. Yeah. Oh, wow, fantastic. That's brilliant news, yeah. Adam. Amazing. So hopefully that's um, a 2022 Christmas present sorted. Well, I think before we go, there's just enough time, uh, although this is going to be a very long episode, to carry on our um patron shout outs yes just to carry on where we left off before we would like to thank 
all of our wonderful patrons for continuing to support us. And in particular, this episode, we'd like to thank Kate Houston, Claudia Ortega, Christiane Cree, Jackalus Rackalus, Ulrika Coberly, Tina Johnston, Jamie Gardner, Elizabeth Mullen, Katie Burfield, and David. <laughs> so thank you to all of you. Yes, thank you all so much. Welcome to Grim Castle. And yeah, we'll continue the, uh, the shout-outs in uh, the upcoming episodes. Our next story we'll be reading, we'll be back to our uh, selected stories after this uh, little surprise episode. What have we got? We have got Brother Lustig. Oh. Brother Lustig. Brother Lustig. And it's uh, mm, it's quite it's quite an adventure. <laughs> I'm just going to say, no spoilers, <laughs> oh. no spoilers. In fact, wow. I'd say yeah, we've got some quite big stories coming up from the this next okay. cycle of stories. Yeah, be prepared then. We're going on a few adventures. This is exciting, exciting stuff. Happy New Year, everyone! Thanks for listening all the way to the end, and uh, yeah, we'll see you for Brother Lustig. Yeah, see you there. Happy New Year, and keep it grim. Au revoir. Bon chéri. Bonsoir. 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 Bye. Bye. If you'd like to support the podcast, please head over to patreon.com slash grimreading to find out how, and also see the range of benefits available as a thank you from us. You can, of course, email us at grimreadingpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at grimreadingpod, and we're also on Instagram and Facebook at grimreading. You can find us on Podbean, podbean.com slash grimreading. And we also have a website, grimreading.wordpress.com. Keep it grim. <laughs>